tried of not being amenable to foreign intervention. He tries to be the true patriot that, in fact, heeds to no one. Aoun's maverick personality could threaten a delicate balance of power in Lebanon, where a Maronite Christian can only serve as president, a mostly symbolic post, while a Sunni Muslim is always the more powerful prime minister. Aoun's criticized that arrangement for decades and could make a play to seize greater power with Hezbollah's help, but he may end up being his biggest obstacle. The man is very old, he's very aged. When you saw him today reading his discourse, he could barely decipher his papers. For more global news headlines, visit talkmedianews.com. X-Ray FM would like listeners to know that Oregon isn't an accident. Things that make it great like iconic scenery, wonderful farmland, and walkable cities depend on land use planning. This is the work of a thousand friends of Oregon, a nonprofit organization. Since 1975, 1000 Friends has worked for a beautiful, balanced, and productive Oregon. More information at friends.org. One, two, three, uh huh. And now, Grow PDX. Grow PDX is a show focusing on horticulture, community food systems, and agriculture. Today on Grow PDX, we're talking about small-scale animal agriculture with Melissa Ferry of OSU's Small Farms Program. If you have any questions you want our experts to answer, give us a call at 503-233-9729 or give us a text at 971-220-5979. We'd love to hear from you. Again, the number to call is 503-233-9729 or give us a text at 971-220-5979. KXRY. And now we turn to the host of Grow PDX, Weston Miller of Oregon State University. Good afternoon. I'm Weston Miller of OSU. Thank you for listening to Grow PDX at our new time, high noon on Wednesdays here on X-Ray FM. To start the show today, I want you to picture yourself at your local farmer's market buying eggs from a favorite vendor. The eggs look beautiful in the carton with whites, browns, and greens. And you know that these eggs will be super tasty and nutritious. Think about the bright orange yolk as compared to the pale yellow yolks of store-bought eggs. Well, there are many folks out there in the Northwest who are raising animals as part of a small-scale farming enterprise for eggs, poultry, goats and sheep, cows and bisons, and even some ostriches and emus. These farmers are probably selling direct to consumers and restaurants, but sadly, farming is a difficult business. Fortunately, OSU Small Farms Program provides resources for people to get up to speed and to learn the ins and outs of small-scale farming, both of crops and animals. And to help us to learn more about farming with animals today, we'd like to welcome Melissa Ferry to the show. She's a senior instructor in the Crop and Soil Science Department at OSU, and she's joining us by phone from Corvallis. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Weston. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And if you have a question about farming with animals during this half hour of Grow PDX, you should call in. Give us a shout at 503-233-9729, or you could text us at 971-220-5979. Melissa Ferry, tell us about your work with OSU Small Farms Program. Sure. I've been with OSU for about 12 years and have focused on adult education related to small-scale production of um, livestock as well as um, different crops. Um, I primarily work with field crops like grains. Okay. And then... um, 
Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoy my work. Awesome. What sorts of educational offerings are available for folks wanting to learn more about farming, both here in the Portland metro area and also down in the Willamette Valley where you're located? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I am located in the more southern Willamette Valley, and we do have um, specific programming for this region. Anyone can come, of course. Yeah. Um, but there's also um, programming in the north Willamette Valley and metro area. Uh, they have the small farm school that's offered in September, and in Corvallis we have the um, annual small farms conference, which is a big draw and has lots of breakout sessions on different topics, including small-scale animal agriculture. And that'll be in February this year? Yes, it'll be February 18th this year. Okay, so folks should look out for the small farms conference in Corvallis. It fills up really quickly, I, I hear. Yes, uh, we are expecting 900 to 1,000 people, and that's really a maximum amount. So if you're interested, you want to get registered as soon as you can when the registration opens in January. Melissa, what are you seeing in the Willamette Valley in terms of beginning and new farmers getting into the field of animal agriculture? There's a lot of um, folks interested in chickens, as you mentioned earlier, because it's um, a pretty easy um, enterprise to get started with versus um, cattle, sheep, goats, and other animals that require more acreage and you have to figure out your best management for pastures and hay production. So we see a lot of different people experimenting with different livestock species, but for the most part, pretty standard animal species and a variety on farms, and um, they're trying to diversify their production, just like vegetable producers grow a lot of different crops. Okay, so in other words, they'd have multiple varieties of chickens producing different um, varieties of eggs and so on? And um, not just chickens, but a farm might have chickens plus goats plus cattle and um, be able to utilize more area of their land. But for more urban farmers or people interested in, in small-scale animals, they might just have chickens or poultry as um, you know, their focus. All right. Thanks for the explanation. Melissa, what do you think the draw is for new farmers getting into this field? I believe uh, the draw is that people are really passionate about growing food for their communities mm -hmm. and having a protein source that is locally grown and humanely raised is important. And I, I think people just really enjoy the uh, lifestyle of farming. There's something special about animal husbandry and caring for animals. And um, you can really see that passion when you start talking to farmers that are in this sort of business. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Now, the Women's Farm Network seems like a really valuable service. Tell us more about that. Oh, yes, of course. Um, Oregon has three women farmers networks now. There's one in the North Willamette, up where you're at, and the metro area, and then also um, kind of the southern Willamette Valley region where I'm at, and down in southern Oregon in Jacksonville, I mean, Jackson, Josephine counties. We're looking at farmers' networks in other areas, too. But this is really just a way to get um, people together and talk about farming and support each other. Um, women farmers 
you get a group of them together and it's just incredible the amount of support that they'll lend to each other, providing um, resources and sharing resources and information. And it's a way to um, kind of encourage uh, women farmers to stick with it because oftentimes, well, any type of farming is, is challenging, but when you're a women farmer, you're um, in a minority situation and supporting each other is so important. That's awesome. I'm really inspired by the Women's Farmer Network. Melissa, good news. We've got a text question from a listener that's asking, here in Portland, you can have up to three chickens, and that's not really a farm, Mm -hmm. but out um, either in other cities or out in in rural areas, folks are allowed to have how many chickens, let's say? Um, Some cities are allowing six, um, no roosters, just laying hens. Um, in rural areas, there's not a limit to the number that you can have if your land is zoned for farm use or rural residential. It's just um, that you need to select the amount of hens that you can actually um, care for raised. and provide for. <laughs> and the go. eggs, what you're gonna, yeah, right. if you have a market for your eggs or how you're going to handle that. Okay, cool. Melissa, You sound, it sounds like you have a really fun job. How did you first get involved with OSU's Small Farms Program? What's the backstory here? The backstory, well, I thought I wanted to be a high school teacher and then did student teaching and realized that that was not a good choice for me. So then I kind of turned more towards um, adult education. I've always been involved with agriculture in some way and really wanted to support agriculture and farming in Oregon. So I worked for the Department of Agriculture and other um, organizations and landed with um, OSU, yeah, over a decade ago ago and really enjoy it. Yeah, and I used to be a high school teacher and I've moved (laughs) on to adult education myself and for good reason. I really like working with motivated adult learners and generally folks who want to learn how to farm in your case or garden in my case Mm -hmm. are pretty excited to learn about it. Yes, and I have a high respect for high school teachers. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're listening to Grow PDX here on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Weston Miller, and we're talking with Melissa Ferry of OSU Small Farms Program. We're, we're talking about small-scale animal agriculture here in Oregon. Now, Melissa, folks here in Portland, myself included, have a romantic vision of small-scale animal farming, the animal husbandry that you mentioned. Define the scale of operations that you work with. Mm, a romantic vision. That's kind of idyllic, I think. And there probably are a few days a year where it does seem very romantic. Um, but there's also uh, manure and mud and hauling feed and all of those daily tasks that kind of bring you back to reality. Um, the scale of farmers, uh, farming operations that I work with, it will be anywhere from, um, depending on the livestock species, uh, anywhere from maybe a handful of hens uh, or chickens to several hundred. Um, I, with larger animal breeds, uh, really anywhere from just a couple of cattle, for instance, to a herd of 20 or 30. Just to kind of depends on what people are doing, or it could be a mix of all different kinds of animals. Okay, but relatively small. These are not really large operations with hundreds and hundreds of animals, but really more on a, a a family scale, let's say. Yeah, def- well, some family farms and ranchers are very large, yeah. but you're right. The ones um, that I tend to work with um, are smaller scale. Usually people have less than 50 acres. Um, they're 
usually managing their farm and possibly doing something off, off farm. farm. Yeah, good yeah. idea for most folks, I'd imagine. Yes. <laughs> Melissa, let's get practical here. Describe a typical egg operation in terms of inputs and outputs. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it starts with buying your poults, your young chicks, and they're so cute, and you pay three to five bucks a chick. And then... Um, if your goal is producing eggs, then you have to feed and care for these chickens for five to seven months before they'll start producing eggs. And then um, a, a, a typical chicken will lay eggs anywhere from three to five years. Um, I know there are breeds out there that and stories about peop- uh, hens that have been laying for a decade, and that's true, but... For on average, they lay um, from for three to five years consistently, right. and then it starts to it kind of starts to dwindle off. So you're not getting as many eggs. Right. It's also seasonal, so you're putting in feed, giving these feed animals feed every day, but during shorter daylight, like now. Right about now, yes. They're, yes, they're not producing as as many eggs per week. So um, you just kind of have to take that all into consideration. And if you're interested in buying organic feed or GMO or soy-free feed, then um, you know, the expense of that definitely can, can add up. Well, so you buy the chicks and then the output is the eggs and then you have, you know, you're doing this for you know, several years. Yeah, let's talk about the economics a little bit more. It seems like the feed costs have to be really high, and there's really only so much people are willing to pay for eggs and poultry. How does that pan out? Oh, yeah. The typical, in any sort of livestock operation or farm, the um, feed cost is about 80% of the total cost of production. So you, you have your so initial eclipsing labor cost. even, or does that include labor? Um, that that does not include labor. Labor is actually the cost of the feed. Okay, but yep. the 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 total cost. Are you including labor in that quotient, or not including, or is it just the the production costs outside of labor? Outside of labor. Okay, got it. Thank yeah. You. So, um, so like I mentioned, if you're looking at specialty feeds, which a lot of people are interested in, it really um, increases the cost of production beyond that. <laughs> Um, maybe 80% mark. Okay. So it's a, it's a big chunk of money that's just going into feed. And so, um, I mean, for a dozen eggs at a farmer's market, you might be paying anywhere from 5 to $8 per dozen. And that's likely a break-even price. Hopefully it includes labor, and some people do factor that in, and then you see the dozen eggs being closer to the 7 or $8 mark. Okay. Um, but if that's the cost of production and you're only making maybe a dollar or or so on a dozen eggs, you can imagine that it's a pretty small profit margin. And um, for meat birds, people are charging at farmer's markets um, maybe anywhere from 5 to $9 per pound. So that tends to be a pretty expensive meal for um, customers. So it's, just, it's a balance and it's tough and we want farmers to make money, but in a lot of cases when it comes to eggs and um, meat products, um, we're hoping that they at least break even. Okay. And then so when someone goes and shows up at the farmer's market, give some justification. Why should they pay more for those products that they'll get from a, a farmer's market as opposed to going to a grocery store and getting the same foods for a, a quarter of the price? 
Well, just like um, with vegetables, it there's a relationship that you can build with the farmer. These farmers are um, caring for their animals. They enjoy caring for animals. Um, they're um, humanely raised. They're being fed quality feed. Um, and you're supporting the local farm economy, which is really incredible and important for Oregon agriculture. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then there's the taste and quality too. Um, the eggs stand up, put their yellow yolks. They just look and taste delicious. The meat, um, you know, isn't coming from thousands of miles away. It's grown right in your backyard and Hopefully not your backyard. You're talking to urban farmers, right? right? So <laughs> close by, and um, hopefully, you know, you will taste the difference and be willing to pay that price. That's all really good justification for folks going out to farmers market to support your local meat vendor. And Melissa, you live on a farm yourself. Tell us about your own place. Yes, I do live on a farm. I live actually down by Cresswell. It's um, family property that we were able to purchase about, um, yeah, well, several years ago. And I consider it a homestead farm. We don't sell any um, farm products other than we raise some beef cattle and sell like um, like a half an animal. I know that sounds funny, but once it's processed, about a half an animal or a quarter of an animal to friends and family or people that request it. Okay. Yeah. So it's really just all about your own learning and enjoyment of animal husbandry then? Yes, definitely that. And I have two young children, and I feel like there's um, not a better education available than being li- you know, being and living here where they're able to see and care for animals, and that reflects, too, on how they care for people. Oh, that's really sweet. We are talking about small-scale anim- animal agriculture here on Grow PDX on X-Ray FM. If you have questions for us, give us a call at 503-233-9729, or you could text us at 971-220-5979. I'm Weston Miller. We'll be back in a minute. X-Ray FM would like listeners to know that Old McDonald's Farm Incorporated is a nonprofit organization that uses animals and agriculture to teach and reach Portland-area children. Information on day visit programs, summer programs, and Saturday Academy workshops is available at www.oldmcdonaldsfarm.org. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Portland Nursery. For over 100 years, Portland Nursery has provided Portland residents with a wide selection of healthy plants and expert gardening advice. Community-oriented and family-owned. Portland Nursery, a passion for plants, a nursery for plant people. Located on 50th and Stark and on 90th and Division. Welcome back to Grow PDX. I'm your host, Weston Miller. Here is a public service announcement. Do you love gardening and want to share your passion with others? Well, the OSU Master Gardener Program trains volunteers to serve as community-based educators to provide research-based information about horticulture to the community. You've probably seen Master Gardener volunteers at farmers markets and other community events. Join others with a passion for plants and become a Master Gardener in 2017. This season-long training and volunteer program starts in February. The hybrid training includes lecture-style classes, online content, and hands-on workshops. Check out our offerings at metromastergardeners.org. Registration is now open, again, at metromastergardeners.org. 
And now we're going to return to our conversation with Melissa Ferry. She's with OSU Small Farms Program, and we're talking about animal agriculture. Melissa, as I drive up and down I-5, which I do fairly often to go down to Mm -hmm. Corvallis, I see a lot of sheep operations along the side of the highway. Help us to understand this industry. Oh, that's a really interesting relationship. So sheep producers will work with grass seed farmers and collaborate with them and have their animals out there grazing grass seed fields on the off-season. Okay, so so for folks who don't know, in the Willamette Valley, farmers, field crop farmers grow a lot of grass seed, so like perennial ryegrass that's used for lawns and whatnot, and the seed is the the product that they're looking for, but it sounds like the sheep are brought in to do a little grazing along the way. Yeah, right, good explanation. So the grass is grown, and unlike your yard, you want it to grow tall, and you want it to produce seed heads. And that doesn't, the, the seed heads aren't ripe or ready until um, summertime, like July. So from about this time, we'll start seeing sheep farmers bringing their sheep to grass seed fields, those big fields along the freeway. And um, the, the, the sheep will graze all winter. And then they, they are removed usually March or April, kind of early spring, so that the grass can continue to then grow and um, produce the seed that the, the grass seed farmers are interested in. And the grazing helps the grasses to grow more robustly in terms of their root system and then put up a, a stronger, taller flower stalk at the end of the season? Yes. Um, grazing will help uh, uh grow plants, just like pruning (laughs) helps initiate growth. Grazing is the same sort of concept. So we're just using animals. So the animals are getting feed. The soil is also getting uh, nutrients from manure. And it's also a great place for a lot of these um, female sheep, the ewes, to um, lamb. Yeah, I, I, I do see a lot of young yeah. sheep out there, usually with like a red X or like a, a, a spray paint on them, indicating that they're the young ones. Uh, yeah, the spray paint codes can just be different for various farmers. It might be that they've already, like the older ones, they might already be giving birth or have given birth, or they might be a specific, uh, like male or female, it just depends on the farm. I see. And how they do that. And the spray paint doesn't hurt the animals because it's just on their their mm-hmm. wool and gets sheared off and All right, so now a couple the, months the, later. The industry, the, the wool is certainly a product, and then there are also meat sheep. Is that correct? Yes, a lot of those are meat sheep. Um, so they're sold um, as lamb um, when they're several months old. And they're um, nearly full-grown when they're, they're um, processed. Um, the wool doesn't have as much... Um, yeah, product value, value as it days. used to okay. because of lack of processing, but it still is a byproduct for sure. Okay. Now, what about larger animals like cattle and pigs? Help us to understand small-scale operations with these animals. So, small-scale operations for sheep or pigs or goats or hogs um, require, for the most part, more acreage um, because of the high cost of feed um, these sorts of operations are trying to grow a lot of their own hay for okay. like sheep and goats and cattle. Um, so, and these animals are a commitment. Um, they, you might have the breeding stock and then just be selling the offspring. Um, cattle don't give birth every, every, um, 
year necessarily. They just, um, so it's, I mean, they give birth every year, but you're not selling that animal young, you're raising it up. So it's, it's a, it's a longer term process versus, um, maybe just, uh, meat birds where they're, you're only raising them from, for, you know, eight to 10 weeks and then processing. I see. So then on a small scale, it, it, it's either going to be sort of a home operation like you described for your own farm mm-hmm. or uh, like a sideline business, but uh, larger operations would be the best way to make that kind of thing more doable, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, larger operations um, will have, it's kind of one of those situations where if you have um, more quantity, it brings the overall cost down. So if you're only raising, you know, uh, five pigs, it uh, you, um, you might as well be raising a few more to have more product availability. Um, so it starts getting a little bigger with the larger animals. But more than anything, it just create requires more space. You need a barn for hay storage to carry them through the winter. Um, and equipment to seasonal. be able to make hay, and mm-hmm. so there's a larger investment in the equipment overall needs. infrastructure to yes. make it work. All right, yes. that's a great description. Now, I imagine a lot of folks out there might be familiar with multi-animal rotational systems like Joel Salatin of Polyface Farm. Are there farmers with this sort of operation here in Oregon? There are. There are people that are trying to um, emulate what what Joel at Polyface Farm is doing, and he's actually come to Oregon several times as a speaker to share about his experiences. A lot of our farms, though, and, you know, Oregon's unique, they're taking those concepts and making variations of that um, multi-species or multi-animal rotational grazing. But we do see a lot of that, and that's one way for uh, farms to diversify the types of products that they have to sell, as well as they're able to utilize... um, different aspects of their farm, like um, goats, for instance, will eat different plants than cattle do, which is mostly just grass. Okay. So if you have um, you know, areas on your farm where you can um, house and tend other animal species, it's a great way, a great way to go. Could you take us through a typical adaptation that folks are doing here in Oregon in terms of the multi-animal rotation? Sure. So let's just take um, three animal species. We've got cattle, goats, and pigs. And so the cattle are out on the fields eating most of the grass, um, but you can also then rotate through goats that are going to eat more brushy species uh, like the Himalayan blackberry leaves and different types of um, weedy species too, which is really great. Okay, so you're um, getting mo- more... Um more eating of all the plants in the field, so that's yes. a good thing. Yes, and then the cattle will also probably be eating some hay in the barn during the winter, and so um, they might also be eating some grain. And then um, one idea would be bringing pigs in in the spring and letting them then root through all of that wasted hay material that just gets dropped from animals in the barn. Um, They'll sift through and get grain and kind of like rotate and cultivate that. Yeah, um, they they cultivate for sure. Yeah, that straw pack. And then that, that, it can be used then for manure to go back out on the pastures to um, fertilize and provide nutrients for the grass. The Um, idea is that each animal serves a function more or less, and if you line them up in the right order and 
give them access to a space for a certain amount of time, then they'll perform that duty and then move on and you'll, you'll benefit from their, their natural behavior. That's a great explanation. Yes, exactly. And um, but it does take a higher level of management because now you need to know about how all of these different animals and and what they need as far as nutrition and health care and that sort of thing. And how about rotating crops into crop areas? So either into annual vegetables or perennial orchard systems. How does that work? Sure. Animals um, can be used to go through orchards uh, to eat the grass to um, um, also provide nutrients for trees. Clean um, up the you, fallen fruit. Yeah, eat the fallen fruit. You just have to be careful because they'll also eat tree branches if they're left in any one spot too long. So you have to be very mindful of that or have appropriate fencing systems, um, maybe just temporary fencing like electric fence. Um, animals uh, in cropping systems can work fine too. It's providing uh, manure resources for nutrients. Um, the thing to consider there is just the timing. So, like, if you're going to have a vegetable garden um, or you're trying to transition a um, grassy area to vegetables, you can use the animals to eat the grass and provide nutrients, and then you could work that into the soil. And then you'd want to wait at least 120 days before harvesting crops from that area after the animals have left. Absolutely. Having animals um, in areas where you're also going to be then eating uh, crops from that, especially anything that would be eaten fresh, it's so important to wait so that a lot of the bacteria and um, organisms can die and the microorganisms, the beneficial organisms in the soil can break that down. So, yep, the 120 days. And then also, such an important thing for customers to remember that even if, um, you know, they're grown organically, these vegetables still need to be washed and, um, you know, for meat products, be cooked properly. So good food safety at home, too. Great points. And just in uh, one quick phrase, what inspires you the most about your work with OSU Small Farms, Melissa? Mm, 